sitting up straight, correcting ourselves over and over, dedicating ourselves to the good beyond ambition and attainment, yet some deep down longing, correcting posture, correcting posture over and over, knowingly developing this fearless openness, knowing no place better to cultivate this sanity, determined to stay in the center of our pillow. The posture can be lost so easily. Darkness creep under my wondering thoughts, coveting the smallest of little sparkles, dragging me a hundred miles from here. How to avoid these seductive cries? Stories seem more real than this place I sit. How to overcome the sharp edge of a dead past? How to overcome the sharp edge of a dead past? Or conjure up a perfect, perfect future? Sometimes, simplicity and strength, simplicity and strength, coming into the sheer foundation of our own loveliness. Living so close to this gut feeling, this gut feeling of peace and ease. The fire of our own voice, singing praise to all awakenings. Now, curled up in front of fire at home at last, knowingly bowing to this darkness. Old friend comes in the back door, ushering itself out the front door. Straightening up again, mind at rest in a soft heart. So tonight, oh, big night, you know, this is big night, you know, when you think that, I was thinking about the darkness, you know, because this is the fulcrum, the zenith, the point, uh, where uh, the wonder of uh, the darkness, the teachings of the darkness, and I think, you know, one of the things right now, uh, for me, I, I don't know for you, but... Uh, seeing into the political culture uh, of our country right now and seeing that, oh yes, there are things going on, uh, unknown. We have, we have no, this is, the, this is an unknown map right now. And um, our job, first of all, is really, uh, there is the outside, which is, uh, I believe there is some darkness there. We work so hard, but now things change. But our job uh, here is not so much about what's happening. It maybe brings energy to us here in the sense of uh, the need for change. But our job here, you know, is simply to start owning kind of our own, uh, our own darkness, our own fear, our own kind of the, uh, how we somehow turn away from ourselves 
uh, in the language of uh, the shadow. And then, uh, again, uh, within the shadow itself, within the dark itself, there is the truth that uh, the light uh, always existed. And our job is simply first to uncover, uh, to uh, let it move. So I've been a wonderer all my life. You know, I was thinking, oh, in the 60s, uh, Heather said once, I was the only person she ever knew that left this country in the 60s because I didn't agree with it, (laughs) you know. And uh, fortunately, I went to India, and I was on a spiritual quest. So uh, it worked out, you know. But I want to use uh, one of the things I've spent, um, you know, uh, years and years. One of the things I learned very young, actually, uh, in my early 20s in India was this whole thing around pilgrimage. That somehow uh, there was uh, a journey, a quest, that uh, we all uh, can undertake uh, to let go of something and to uh, find a boom, some kind of uh, gift. Uh, in the journey itself. And many times I think of retreats as these are pilgrimages. Uh, You come here sometimes not knowing what the hell's going on. And uh, you come and you sit and uh, you follow the instructions and uh, you kind of go, oh, okay, let's see how this works, you know. So the journey itself I like to frame it, and one of the things is of all these pilgrimages I've done uh, throughout all of Asia um, has been um, an island, uh, Java. You know where Java is in Indonesia. You know, Java in the seventh century was once uh, uh, a great Buddhist nation, you know, in the islands, now the largest Muslim nation. But at that time, it was Buddhist you know, the way most of Asia at that time. And um, as times change, as they do, there was a a great uh, mountain uh, in the center of Java that uh, over time uh, was uh, neglected and again, uh, it's uh, rimmed by uh, volcanoes. And so ash would come and kind of cover uh, the most incredible, largest... uh, Buddhist monument in the world called Bobador. And there's kind of a, the, the original pilgrimage, and you have to go back, this was in the 7th century. So uh, it wasn't easy to get there, you know, as far as uh, I know, you know, my own little pilgrimage going overland, uh, you know, and buses and trains and hitchhiking through Europe and everything to India uh, was... Um, you know, it was difficult. That was, those were hard times, you know. And, um, you know, I ended up, uh, what, in jail in Greece and, and you, in Turkey, and, you know, a few different things. It was a good, but, <laughs> you know, it was the 60s. What do you want, you know? <laughs> you know, and uh, great teachings, you know. I remember sitting in jail in, in Ezrum, Turkey, 
and uh, looking up, and, and there was Mount Arhat, you know, where uh, supposedly the ark was, you know, so there were some wonderful things about it, uh, but, you know, it's not what I'm here to talk about, you know. What I want to talk about is that uh, this pilgrimage that uh, in the 7th, 8th, ninth, up to the almost 11th century, uh, pilgrims would come from India, from China, uh, and they, would, they had to take these ships, and it was a, a, you know, a, f- a ferocious journey uh, to go from uh, India uh, to the island of Java, or from different places along China, uh, to go there on pilgrimage. And so they came, and there was a, kind of a series of uh, kind of steps they had to go through. And it was, it was fascinating, you know? Because you go there and there are three fundamental temples. There's the big temple, which most people go to see. Uh, but there's also two others. And the pilgrimage actually is several kilometers. It's not that long. You know, just getting there is a big deal. But the first one, uh, you go and there's a, like a big Bodhi tree. And there's a, a large temple. And this was all out of um, lava rock, black lava, beautiful uh, rock, and carved is uh, maybe a 40 or 60 foot uh, Maitreya. Uh, it's the coming Buddha. And so in the beginning of all pilgrimages, you have to have some kind of hope or some kind of endeavor. And why we ask, you know, that uh, take a moment to really, uh, you know, what you doing here? You know, what's your intention? What's your motivation? And so in this case, the motivation was Maitreya, the coming Buddha. So it represented what? Uh, Maitreya, uh, or Maitreya, uh, is the Buddha of love, you know. So the journey is uh, really from confusion to love. And so there's this, you know, uh, enormous Buddha. And it is the beginnings of this pilgrimage, you know. In a way, I think all of us, we aspire somehow. Sometimes we don't even know what we're doing here. You know, we just come because we come. But as we begin to recognize uh, what it is that's going on, uh, what are the pieces that uh, need to be exposed and what are the pieces that need to be supported? So that's the first one, you know. And you come and then you have, uh, there's an old pathway that goes a couple kilometers and then you come to the second temple. And the second temple is, uh, we even today, where people come and uh, there's always a lot of flowers and offerings there. Uh, and I don't know what the actual name, uh, physical name of that temple is, but I kind of dubbed it. It's the, you know, the uh, Temple of Toxins. You know, and we all like once we have an an inspiration, an aspiration uh, that uh, we have to come uh, in a sense uh, to our own shadow, our own darkness, that uh, when we come and we sit here, uh, this is really a process of uh, seeing into the untangling. You know, we know you're supposed to be watching your breath. Okay, we got that. But there's a whole lot of other things going on in this room, you know. And a lot of that is, you know, sometimes it's just old stories or, you know, things we want or fantasies or, 
You know, uh, there is uh, forces that uh, pull us back and forth as we sit here. And part of this is just to see in some way that there is a process going on here. And that process is, you know, I, I always like to think of it as, um, you know, this is kind of, I always kind of say this, but it, it's like a pond. And the pond, um, uh, our, our life is constantly stirring up all the sediment, you know. And that sediment makes it so we can't see clear into it. And the job here is actually, first of all, as a community, uh, the deal is uh, that uh, the center and every we kind of set up pontoons. And, and the winds that blow across the surface all the time, which you know about those, you know, I mean, this is quite a season for a lot of blowing. And, um, and it stirs things up, you know. And the job here is to, and just like with the, you know, all the, uh, you know, what, our great uh, digital world, uh, we leave them out of this. We put them away. So that uh, the, basically the waters themselves, uh, the surface can kind of settle out. And in some ways, I think the practice, we think, oh, it's something, the practice, we do something. But I don't know if that's really true. You know, what I think is there's a kind of a discipline here that 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 stirs the waters, uh, that we grab a hold of and we pull the sucker out of the water so we don't stir it up. That's what we're doing. We're, we're just not stirring it up. And that doesn't mean there isn't a lot of sediment floating around um, and especially as soon as you get kind of under the surface, uh, then there are currents. You know, these currents, some of them are really old. You know, you, you get it, you know, things we've uh, done and undone uh, that, that come through, you know. And our job is one thing is, oh, you could just go back to the breath, but I know better, you know. Uh, you mess with them some, Okay. You mess with them some, you know. But we also encourage you that um, it's not like you're going to solve them here, you know. What you're going to do is you're going to let that current move through. You know, it's an old story. You know, these are old, all, all of it's old. We're just here, sitting. Nothing's happening here. You know, zero is happening here, <laughs> you know. And yet, and yet, you know, you know. We always kind of joke because, you know, it's kind of like uh, uh, you walk in the room, it's really quiet and everybody's sitting really quiet. And, uh, but you know what's going on here. And it seems like, oh, people are doing all this great meditation. But the truth is, this is just a garbage dump. And the, 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 there, there's, you know, you would, I, I always thought, you know, if we could really kind of, oh, okay, no, we, we, I, I shouldn't say this. But if we had little cameras up, and it all the way around, and your thoughts <laughs> were magnified around the room. We'd be horrified, you know? <laughs> really, you know? You'd be terrified, you know? Ah, no, you know?
And so it is, though. We come here and, and uh, in that process, because it's interesting that the seeing of it, the seeing of it alone, uh, actually uh, the kind of trance that we put ourselves in around these stories, uh, suddenly uh, loses some of its charge. You know, and you notice sometimes there's stories, uh, you, you have re- repeats, by the way? You're getting repeats, you know? They come, and, um, you know, we think, okay, I'll go back to breath, go back to breath, and then come again, you know? And then they come again, you know? And pretty soon we're going, you know, uh, wait a minute, what is going on here? And this is, these are the currents. These are the really sometimes, uh, in many ways, they are things that catch us, you know? They have little hooks in them, and they grab us and they drag us, you know, from here, uh, I don't know, to Japan or something, somewhere else, you know. And the thing is, uh, they grab us. Uh, and our job, uh, pretty simple here, you know, uh, is the noticing of them. You know, it's amazing that just being aware of some things that passes through is taking a little bit of the charge off of it. You know, it takes a little bit of a charge on it. It actually changes it some. The thing is, sometimes uh, the repetition has to do with some kind of emotional attachment we have to it. You know, we just can't let it go. It's like, I, I don't want to let go, you know. And so, if you sit here, you're going to suffer, you know, not letting it go. And so, this is a direct teaching that's happening about how it's happening, you know. I, I, I found these things, I think I like them, you know. And there are a lot of us from, uh, this is from Carl Jung. How can I be substantial if I do not cast a shadow? I must have a dark side also if I am to be whole if I'm to be whole. And he was really into kind of saying, oh, wholeness is where it's at, you know? And uh, so it's owning these pieces. It's not like uh, we're trying to banish them. Uh, we're trying to allow them, in some sense, to be seen, to know, to feel, to move, you know? In a sense, uh, these practices are simply about liberation. So liberating uh, those things that kind of catch us and hold us uh, for periods of time. I've got all these cool things, so I, I don't know how many I'm going to read. But It's part of what we call the shadow. All the dark parts of us we can't face. It's a thing that if we don't deal with it, eventually poisons our lives. Okay, so we're here actually trying to untangle some of those, uh, sometimes those places where we have, uh, we've got confused or we've grasped or there's kind of a sense of uh, greed or aversion that uh, somehow these currents holds us uh, from uh, this simple thing called letting go.
This is from uh, Calissa Pincola Estes, from Women Who Run With the Wolves. This explosive psychology, quote, sneaking, occurs when we suppress large parts of ourself into the shadows of the psyche. In the view of analytical psychology, the repression of both negative and positive instincts, urges, and feelings into the unconscious cause them to inhabit the shadow realm. While the ego or superego attempts to continue to censor the shadow impulses, the very pressure that repression causes it rather like a bubble in the sidewall of a tire. Eventually, as the tire revolves and heats up, the pressure behind the bubble intensifies, causing it to explode outward, (coughs) releasing all the inner content. The shadow acts similarly. We find that the opening of the door to the shadow realm a little and letting out various elements a few at a time. And I think we do this in the kind of our stories here and feelings and body, relating to them, finding use for them, negotiating. We can reduce being surprised by shadow sneak attacks and unexpected explosions. You know. So... These are currents. Uh, they're not the whole story. No. Uh, they hold us in captivity. Uh, we... It's, it's interesting. I always think we kind of believe our stories. Have you noticed that? You know. And I do believe on some level that uh, ultimately, you know... Um, they are not what they seem to be. They are not how you remember it. You, know, uh, you have simply shaded it uh, exactly the way you would like, either positively or negatively. And so the practice is first to, to see the movement itself and begin to, in essence, kind of, oh, that's just, that's, you know, that's just a feeling. That's just a thought. Uh, due to the past or conditioning, uh, it comes. And I began here uh, to form a relationship with it. You know. And it's hard because, you know, in the world we're so busy that it's always stirred up. So we don't have a chance, actually, a lot of times to touch the things. And here, in some ways, I think we come and we sit and, and it's like, you know, sometimes it's... Uh, disappointments and deaths and, and um, you know, things we wanted and didn't get or things we got and didn't really want, you know, and uh, they get stuffed in a closet, you know, and uh, then we come and we sit and we get really quiet, you know, and suddenly the, the, the kind of all the stirrup is not there and particles begin to settle. And then the closet door opens. And all those sometimes uh, unowned parts come out and visit us, you know. So this is not, it's, it's, this is not, you're not having a bad meditation. 
you know. Uh, you are simply, uh, in some sense, giving yourself permission in the sense of this is the way it happens here, to sit in the garbage dump, you know? And, uh, and in some sense, sometimes it comes and we go, okay, I'm just going to go back to my breath, you know? And just in that sense of, oh, I'm awake and aware that I'm getting caught. And I let go of it and I come back, you know? Every time you do that, you begin to strengthen this muscle, this muscle of, uh, you know, uh, I can use it, the mindful of the moment. You know, and it keeps coming back. And as it comes back, then uh, it begins the slow process of untangling or disempowering. You know. And, you know, it's not the story goes away. It's the charge on the story that lessens. And therefore, it's not something that, you know, uh, the other piece around the shadow is that uh, sometimes these things that have happened, their difficulties, they have a tendency uh, unconsciously uh, to be part of our operating system, part of our defense system, you know. To feel them, to see them, to see how they hook us, is this process that begins to allow the particles to settle, you know. And with that settling uh, comes a clarity, you know. And that clarity is really what uh, we're fundamentally looking for here. There's so much in my life where I've suffered, you know? And, um, and when I first came in the 60s to Asia and, and um, my first retreat I sat, I'd been in the Dharma for um, probably a couple of years by then, but I hadn't really sat, you know? And I kind of knew uh, the intellectual side of this, you know, and which was to me fascinating. But I didn't know what it was that was happening uh, in my being and psyche. And I remember the first 10 days that I sat, and so no, I sat for six weeks the first retreat, and um, all I did was try to go back through my life and line it up chronologically, you know, from a little kid, and all the suffering I'd experienced, you know, over in so many different ways, you know, um, and just lining it up. It took me 10 days just to kind of chronologically uh, so many things had happened to just get a sense of it, you know? And then when I got a sense of that chronologically, the next 10 days, I just cried, you know? I just went, oh, you know, I've been running so hard for myself, you know? And I saw, you know, I saw how I had 
mostly I had run, you know. And suddenly I had to turn around and kind of face uh, my own fears, my darkness, uh, sadness, you know, how, why things hadn't turned out the way I wanted them to turn out. And they hadn't, you know. <coughs> and this is the temple of toxins, you know. And you have all, uh, you are all, you know a lot about this, you know. And if you don't, you find out here, you know. But in this process, you begin to kind of untangle, you know, and you, you actually uh, drop down and uh, the stuff thins out, you know. And we begin to see that uh, there was first, you know, I, I think sometimes of it is the, there's like the heavier, lower emotions of anger and fear, um, of attachment, um, jealousy, uh, greed, lust, you know, these are heavy emotions. In the practice here, as those particles start to kind of dissipate and fall down, we start realizing that, that uh, there are also the lighter emotions, you know, those things that are buoyant, that uh, are not uh, sediment in the water, but it's those moments between the kind of clarity there. Uh, and those are the higher emotions, you know, and the higher emotions, this uh, uh, originally, this metria, this, uh, you know, uh, this desire, you know, we're so simple people, we, we, a lot, we just want to be loved, you know, we're not complicated, you know. And so the particles begin to kind of fall down and we start to see that there's space between them. And that space between them, uh, where we come in this zenith of um, the solstice, you know, uh, it's a absolutely, you know, this is, I, I taught for 20 years, I taught the New Year's retreat here and uh, down in Santa Cruz. And it was always kind of a little phony, you know? <laughs> you know? You know, I mean, what is New Year's Eve? What exactly? I mean, we made this up. This is not, you know, this is like a joke, you know? Okay, we made it up, you know, it's to have, to, to, to have a calendar to make time, you know? But it doesn't really connect with anything, you know? And yet, you know, I, I have, I, I, I love this, you know, the fact that, um, I mean, there are these four kind of events, uh, really, uh, the light and dark and the balance of the light and dark. And, and um, my two kids are born directly on the spring and the fall uh, equinox, that equal point, you know. And then I have a grandson born directly in Bali uh, on the summer solstice. Nothing for this. So you're my next thing, you know. <laughs> I don't have any kids for this, so you're my kids for it, you know. <laughs> you know? But it's a, it, is a, it is, you know, in a sense, a, um, a cosmic thing. 
Uh, it is something that's not just made up. Uh, it's something that happens. No. And it's true. Um, you know, framing this as kind of the dark and the light. Uh, I think in some ways we have to be informed by the dark. You know, it has been, I think sometimes I had a, uh, just absolutely, um, you know, uh, uh, I'd just say difficult father that, you know, and he made my life, you know, he made my life so difficult and he never, even in the end, he never even acknowledged me or, um, And he was my greatest teacher, you know. And I suffered so much. Uh, you know, while I was in India in those years, uh, sometimes I would just, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to be loved, you know. And it, this was not something that was possible, you know. But that was the greatest gift because it forced me, you know. Uh, it allowed me uh, to untangle so many other things, you know. And so it's not that these things are bad. It's how they happen, how we use the material, you know. And first it was just, you know, anger and, and um, you know, a sense of hopelessness. And, and, but uh, as I came into these practices, I realized, you know, the gift that was given to me, that kind of uh, strength, and the uh, kind of, excuse me, the rebel, you know? Like, don't screw with me, I, 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 you know? And uh, I know how this works on some level, you know? And so later in life, it became an awakening of gratitude uh, for uh, the difficulty that he brought to me, you know? And I hope you don't have this, but, you know, um, again, we get teachers in different forms, you know. But they can be uh, incredible problems, uh, but they also can be teachings, can be teachers, you know. They aren't necessarily uh, sometimes what they appear to be. That's the whole thing about the, the kind of the temple of toxins there. Uh, that sometimes they're the opposite of what they appear to be, you know. But it's how we frame it. It's how we hold it. So you'll be going through this process. You know, it seems like it goes on and on. But, you know, it, it also, and it, for me, um, these practices, slowly you begin to unravel. You know? And uh, this is where uh, the Borbador itself, you know, which is really based on the fact that uh, there is uh, this journey. It's, um, I forget, it's five or seven levels that you have to, uh, in a sense, circumambulate. And uh, they say that underneath Borbador are all the hell realms. And uh, all the kind of higher realms there are in this circumambulation that you do uh, to come to the top. You know, and they're all carved and amazing. You know, um, only in the uh, maybe it was uh, 19, uh, 1880s or something that 
it was discovered by a, a, a Frenchman and was covered and had palm trees growing in it and everything. And then the World Heritage came and they began excavating. And because of the ashes, it was from the 7th century, it's perfectly preserved, you know. And to me, it was always interesting because there's uh, the, this, we're all in this journey. Uh, you know, once we kind of, a little bit, you may have to run back and forth to <laughs> temple of toxins a few times. Maybe not, you know. But then you come to the actual journey itself of going from, you know, it's really from confusion uh, to liberation. And this is not some, you know, fantasy. This is something that people for 2,500 years, you know, millions and millions of people have sat and done the simple thing. You know, and I really think it's, it's actually simple in the process. But what is it it's doing? It's looking at the nature of your own mind. One of my, uh, I read one of pieces here from one of my teachers, uh, Dilgo Kinse Rinpoche. Um, he was probably one of the, of the last century, one of the um, uh, pan-cultural uh, uh, teachers for so many of the Tibetans. And, um, and I'll read you this piece here. It's about thoughts. Like waves, all the activities of this life have rolled endlessly on. Yet they have left us empty-handed. Myriad of thoughts have run through our minds, but all they have done is increase our confusion and dissatisfaction. Normally, we operate under the deluded assumption that everything has some sort of true, substantial reality. But when we look more carefully, we find that the phenomenal world is like a rainbow, vivid and colorful, but without any tangible reference. When a rainbow appears, we see many beautiful colors, yet a rainbow is not something we can clothe ourselves with or wear as an ornament. It simply appears through the conjunction of various conditions. Thoughts arise in the mind in just the same way. They have no tangible reality or intrinsic existence at all. There is therefore no logical reason why thoughts should have so much power over us nor any reason why we should be enslaved by them. Mind creates both samsara and nirvana, yet there is nothing much to it. It is just thoughts. Once we recognize that thoughts are empty, the mind will no longer have the power to deceive us, but as long as we take our deluded thoughts as real,
they will continue to torment us mercilessly. As they have been doing throughout countless past lives. To gain control over the mind, we need to be vigilant, constantly examining our thoughts, words, and actions. To cut through mind's clinging, it is important to understand that all appearances are empty, like the appearance of water in a mirage. Beautiful forms are of no benefit to the mind, nor can ugly forms harm it in any way. Sever the ties, sever the ties of hope and fear, attraction and repulsion, and remain in equanimity in the understanding that all phenomena are nothing more than projections of your own mind. To realize that appearances and emptiness are one, are one is what is called simplicity. I love that. To realize that appearances and emptiness are one is what is called simplicity or freedom from conceptual limitations. You know. So this is something you have to teach yourself, you know, because you believe. And the idea here is to kind of loosen the fundamental structure, you know, and see that somehow um, the stories past and future are, are things uh, that, you know, uh, thoughts, they're, they're, what are they? Have you found where they start, where they end, where they exist? Or are they something just in relationship to everything else? They are not something, you know. And yet, they hold such power over us. And our practice here is to begin to uh, sense that there, we can't stop the thinking, okay? Uh, it is like stopping seeing or smelling or tasting or hearing. Uh, it is part of our makeup, you know. And yet it does, it holds such power. And our ability to begin to loosen and realize there is just a stream always happening, and that's one of the things here in our practice, is that uh, we begin uh, to have the power to let go. Oh, there the thought. You know, I said at the beginning, I said, uh, what was it? Uh, a good mantra here, not now. You know, don't, you don't need to jump on it. And every time you kind of break into that, you know, uh, because uh, basically we're walking around in a trance, uh, kind of believing everything. And this, these fundamentals are somehow breaking that uh, trance and start seeing that the world we live in uh, through our senses and, and the mind uh, is uh, something that is phenomenal. This is a mystery. It's magic that's appearing out of nowhere and disappearing again. And yet, due to our hope and fear, uh, 
our world is to control it on some level. You know. So I hope ultimately this, all these practices come to loosening that in some level. So we begin to kind of recognize that, you know, there's more going on here than meets these senses or even the thoughts. You know, that this is a vast mystery that has always, uh, always um, been appearing and disappearing. Phenomena. It's amazing, you know. So when we really teach ourselves, in essence, that uh, we can kind of stay, stay, sit in the center of all this, you know? And uh, when thoughts come through or sounds or smells, uh, that, you know, and sometimes I think of it as um, not that it isn't real, it's just that I can bow to it and let it go. And keep bowing to it and letting it go, then something else obviously appears, you know. But there's no longer the need for it to be a certain way, you know. It's actually just something that, um, due to causes and conditions, and mystery appears, you know. And then this journey uh, up Borbador, you know, it's interesting because on the lower levels they have uh, these huge, like 10 feet or so high Buddhas with uh, kind of these rock, uh, they're built kind of bells around them. And as you go towards the top, and they're just exquisite, beautifully done, and you get up the top, there's no more Buddhas. You know, uh, uh, there is just empty bell, you know, just empty bell. No longer is something, you know. Maybe we needed that in some way as inspiration, you know, uh, to go up the mountain. But ultimately, on top of the mountain, there wasn't anything. And that's wonder, you know, oh. So, the first step, the last step, the last step is the first step. Oh, I'm back at the beginning of the pilgrimage, you know. And I'm no longer uh, held by the many trances uh, that hold me. And at that point when you're not being held by it, what happens? You know, we start out as this solid kind of self with all these stories and all these experiences and everything, and we go up the mountain. And we start shedding. It's like a snake, all these layers, these skins, you know. And we get to the top. And there was always this thing about myself and the rest and everything. 
But as we go up, that sense, that duality begins to um, thin out. You know, it's like, oh, there's not so much here. You know, the air's a little thinner. And as it begins to thin out, then that sense of separateness begins to dissolve. And this recognition that that sense of interdependence, you know, that uh, we're all connected, that that idea that somehow in the lower levels of this kind of struggling self, uh, there was, uh, you know, separateness and loneliness. But on those upper levels, that no longer exists. You know, there is simply space and there is non-separateness. You know, oh, I'm connected to everything. You can do this, you know. You can do it. You know, it certainly takes uh, sometimes, uh, you know, because the trances are so powerful of who we think we are and how it all works and, you know, um, But there's also something that's completely alive in the, that um, non-separateness, you know. I wish you could just say, oh, you know, what happens in that non-separateness? You know? Well, you are me and I am you. So one of the complexities of that is that um, maybe I don't suffer anymore. Okay? it's non-separate, everything, like it is. And yet, if there is one who suffers, then I'm not free from it. And it's really what the Buddha, after his enlightenment, he saw, he said, oh, you know, I know something how this works. You know, and if not separate from everybody, then I have to assist in freeing. And so, for twenty over 2,500 years, we are still in the trajectory of someone who fully awakened. But he just didn't disappear. You know. Uh, he said, oh, this is something uh, all human beings can touch. They have in their nature in their nature, they have this Buddha nature. They have this capacity to awaken. And so this story has been going on and will keep going on after us. You know, we are just, you know, little spokes in a great wheel.
So, you got it? You know? It's really, you know, ultimately, you know, when you release hope and fear, which is really the past and the future, and you start living, you know, uh, with this possibility of no longer being um, pushed by so many of our, uh, you know, beliefs and sometimes our woundings. We're no longer pushed by it. Then why not? Why not walk in a world uh, that needs you? Especially now, I think the times, uh, you know, uh, yes, there is this kind of place where we're moving into the light. But let that light, you know, may it be something that um, brings uh, strength and fearlessness in your own goodness and the goodness of all those that you come in contact with. You know. I'll read my poem again to end. Sitting up straight, correcting ourselves over and over, dedicating ourselves to the good, beyond ambition, beyond attainment, yet some deep down longing, correcting posture over and over, knowingly developing this fearless openness knowing no place better to cultivate this sanity, determined to stay in the center of our pillow. The posture can be lost so easily, darkness creep under our wondering thoughts, coveting the small little sparkles, dragging us a hundred miles from here. How to avoid, how to avoid these seductive cries Stories seem more real than the place that we sit. How? How to overcome the sharp edge, the sharp edge of a dead past? How to overcome the sharp edge of a dead past or conjure up this perfect future? Sometimes simplicity and strength, sometimes simplicity and strength coming into the sheer foundation of our own loveliness, living so close to this gut feeling, this gut feeling of peace and ease, the fire of our own voice singing praise to all awakenings, to all awakenings, curled up in front of the fire at home at last, knowing Bowing to this darkness, old friend comes in the back door. Ushering itself, ushering itself out the front door. Straightening up again. Mind at rest in a soft heart. So let's just sit for a moment. 